Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is John Gerard. I'm here with the Business Ninjas podcast. And I'm talking today with Anjali Tapadia, the marketing manager for Habish Habish and Radier. They're a law firm that specializes in personal injury cases. And uh, Anjali, I'm really glad to have you on the show. You're running marketing for the whole firm. And I'd love to hear more about uh, your background and, and what it is you do for Habish. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me, John. I really appreciate it. I'm excited for today. I am currently the marketing manager at Habish Habish and Rotier. I've been working in the marketing field for about seven years now, uh, although in various industries. I, from IT to political campaigning, I, at one point I was uh, the part of the marketing and public relations team of a chief minister in India, which is the head of the state in India. And this was during the COVID-19 pandemic, so it was intense to say the least. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I also have a master's in marketing from Texas A&M University. Uh-huh. I made my move last year from Texas to Madison, Wisconsin to join the Habish Law Firm. Habish is the oldest and one of the most reputed personal injury law firms in Wisconsin. It was founded in 1930 during the Great Depression by Jesse Habish. And right now, the firm has 13 offices in Wisconsin and a track record of over $4 billion recovered as compensation for clients. That's incredible. Yeah, the story of law firm is very interesting. And I would definitely, that was one of the first things that drew me in. So I would definitely recommend you read it on, it's on the about a section of our website. That's incredible. It strikes me that must be one of the older law firms of this kind in the country. I mean, that's that's an amazing history, almost 100 years at this point. Yep, definitely. Yes, 93 years, I think. That's incredible. Well, I, I want to get into all the interesting, interesting things you're doing on the marketing side in this space and, and, and the personal injury space in particular, because it's a, um, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it can be a divisive space. And I think you've yeah. got some really interesting ways of approaching that. And it, and, and it strikes me that Habish has stood out as somebody who's doing real good in this space. Before I go there, you said something really interesting about working uh, for a, uh, a government ministry during the COVID-19 pandemic. I would right. love to hear something about that. What was that like and what were you doing uh, uh, during that period? So I was um, I, I was working in a political campaigning, uh, a cross-party political advocacy firm in India. And we had just won elections for this chief minister who is equal to a governor in the United States. And he um he asked me if I could join his team and I was more than happy to do that. So when he switched to uh, the government position, uh, I, I started working in his marketing and communication uh, team. I was at some point managing, manage, doing stuff like managing his Twitter account, uh, wow. writing press releases. And unfortunately, this is in 2019, 2020. So yeah. when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, no one knew what, what to do and especially yeah. everyone was looking at the government for answers yes and i had to do i remember doing courses online to learn more about pandemics to learn more more about covid 19 just so i can explain it to an audience of almost 40 million Isn't break it down and explain incredible. it that's incredible. Well, I know we're off script here a little bit, but but as soon as I heard that I thought yeah. that is an extraordinary experience to have been in that seat 
at that point in history where this unprecedented thing is happening. Like you said, everybody looking to you and and, and the government to provide answers. What, what an amazing experience. Yeah, it was. It was really intense. I remember waking up at 2 a.m. one day when they needed a press release to go out regarding something. And I was like, OK, just give me 20 minutes. I need to wash my face and then I'm going to start writing your press release at 2 a.m. Isn't that amazing? Well, I, I suspect and maybe this is the segue into what you're doing now that that kind of intensity, you probably feel prepared for just about anything at this point. That's right. Yep, I do. Yeah, incredible. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about how you got involved with this firm. So you mentioned that the history, uh, the fact that it had been around for a long time, sounds like long and storied history, was one of the things that drew you in. And as I kind of mentioned in passing here, this is a very interesting space, right? So, so I think that if we think about the public perception of lawyers and then especially personal injury, it's a little mixed. And 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 yet, I think what I heard when we were preparing for this was that there's something kind of different going on here. So maybe, you know, putting your marketing hat on, how can you, what can you share about how to market effectively into those kinds of headwinds when you're, when you're involved in an ecosystem where a lot of people are going to, going to show up and be a little skeptical out of the gate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I was, to prepare for this podcast, I was actually looking at the history of uh, legal advertising in the United States, and it's such an incredible history. You know that legal advertising was banned in the United States until 1970s, so it's not too yeah, long ago that you know, advertising and marketing was illegal. It was frowned upon, and um, I remember reading that in 1908, the American Bar Association adopted a canons of professional ethics which had rules against advertising because advertising in the legal space was looked at as unprofessional, which is very interesting because they believed that they were part of this noble profession, which I'm sure attorneys still do, but advertising would make it more like a common business. Interesting. That's very interesting. And this changed in 1977 uh, because the Supreme Court, there was this case, Bates versus Arizona, where the court found that attorney advertising was a form of commercial speech, which was entitled to some sort of protection under the First Amendment. I'm not sure. Yeah, thank God for that. That's why I'm here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. But Isn't that amazing? By the way, I find it a little bit ironic that that it took lawyers until 1970s to yeah. argue a case about a First Amendment right. But anyway, that's... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So by this time, uh, Jesse Habish's son, Bob Habish, uh, who is the other Habish in Habish, Habish and Rotier, had joined the firm. And every time I ask someone uh, in Wisconsin if they've ever heard of Habish, Habish and Rotier, the first thing they say is, yes, I've been listening to your, I've been seeing your commercials growing up. Mm-hmm. So Bob Habish really pioneered marketing and advertising in Wisconsin when it came to the legal industry. Uh, I remember seeing these ads that they ran in the early 80s. Uh, it was called Knowing the Law series, which was informing people of their rights in very simple language, and they became a big hit. So marketing and advertising in the legal industry still has many laws. For example, in Wisconsin, you can't really say you're the best in the industry unless you can factually substantiate it in any way. You can't really give something of value to your clients for recommending your services. So there are many things like that um, in the legal industry, and you have to sort of pass through these barriers and then design a campaign, uh, which is, again, 
different from the ambulance ambulance chasing ads that you now see, which are associated mostly with personal injury. Yeah. I remember the first thing Jason, my manager, uh, who's also an attorney, told me immediately after I was I was interviewing for this job was that I would need to know the Wisconsin bar rules for attorney advertising in and out if I wanted wow. to get the job. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I'm kidding. So tell maybe can you say something? I mean, I, you already mentioned a couple of the constraints, but but any anything in that uh in those regulations that um were surprising to you or that are really hard to to uh incorporate into a good campaign? Yeah, definitely. So um, you know how like I mentioned, you can't really say you're the best unless you've been awarded as Got the it. best. It's substantiated, so, yeah substantiated so there are a lot of um you you will find online a lot of these um organizations that will give you awards uh that that uh give attorneys awards but obviously it's a way of making money because you have to pay them to get those awards and it's important for you to get those awards so you can advertise that you're one of the best amazing so unsurprisingly a regulation has led to a cottage industry to um, yep. the requirements of the of the, uh, the, the regulation that's amazing and these are just things that you learn after you're in the industry because yes. when, when i was in political campaigning i didn't know something like this existed and right. i didn't know there was a cottage in industry like you mentioned that's but, fascinating yeah yeah the thing that really differentiates us or what uh when you ask me about what when you think of personal injury ads you yes. think of the ambulance chasing ads have you have you seen those memes that say um what i think i do what my society thinks i do yes what my parents think i do yes i love those by the way i'm obsessed with that, that format it's just a great it's a great way to present that that these ideas yeah exactly so the memes for personal injury attorneys and people like me in this field is usually just a picture of a person chasing an ambulance sure, of course <laughs> yes. that's what people associate uh ads like this with but what we try to it's an aggressive space it's an aggressive because the competition and you also now see attorneys who have this crass messaging of humor that they include attorneys yeah. in texas and you they're very interesting it makes sense in this industry because of the nature of this industry because yeah. when you you don't want to think about uh car accidents you don't want to think about pain so you have to sort of include humor yeah get the target audience's attention yeah but what differentiates Habish is that Habish is not a settlement mill. Do you know what that is? I, I, I think I do, but please describe it for everybody who's listening. Yeah. So these are firms that settle large volumes of cases, mm -hmm. but not necessarily try to maximize e the value of each claim. Mm -hmm. So having worked with 32 attorneys in the last few months, I know that attorneys at Habish will try to get the maximum compensation for you. They're not settlement mills. They're not trying to get the most number of cases, but they're trying to get the, trying to work on cases till they can get the maximum outcome. So that way for us, messaging becomes really easy because we're not trying to get more cases. We're trying to get cases and then work on and then pass it on to attorneys who will put all of their effort. And that's what we show in our messaging. We are a law firm with nationally reputed attorneys who mm -hmm. will fight for you, who will stand by you, and who will take your burden when you focus on healing. Amazing. Yeah. This no, that, is our, yeah. 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I can see how that's very differentiating in the space. I mean, I, I don't know what the correlation is between the sort of the humorous approach and that and that settlement mill thing, but I imagine yeah. that it's high. Like I don't I, I don't know, but it you know, I, I remember certainly every time I've driven into Las Vegas, there's all the billboards going in there. And it's, you know, Nick's attorney Nikki fix it will uh make it all go away. And he's all dressed in gold with a Rolls Royce in the background. And it's yeah. funny and strange and and um sounds like you guys probably don't have that image in Wisconsin. We don't. Um our competitors do. We they try to sort of lawsuits are very difficult. Lawsuits are challenging, they will take of a lot of time. But for a person who is injured, it's obviously it's obviously they will choose something that's easier and that's what most uh, most other law firms try to market in a way in their messaging that is just one call that that's all it takes for you to um get this case settled to fix this but that's not true and we're trying to stay away from that we will tell you it's we will not just one call is not that that's all that it takes it will take a long time but we will be there for you that entire time yeah, that's amazing. Well, like I said, very differentiating. It seems like I'm, it's um, it's a different approach. And and I I want to talk for a second about the way that that influences the marketing. You already mentioned that this is sort of a different uh, personality, perhaps that you put out there. You talked a lot when we were preparing about the fact that you're data driven uh, and 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 probably much more data driven than a lot of your competitors. And I suspect what that means is that you have good evidence that that positioning actually works better. Is, is there anything you can talk about in terms of your data-driven strategies and what it has told you about uh, how to show up in the marketplace? Yeah, of course. So uh, we downloaded a lot of documents online to check what kind of demographic, what kind of psychographic. You know, it, it becomes difficult discussing demographics when it comes to personal injury law firms because it's almost everyone, everyone who's injured. So you can't really focus your ads in a way. It's 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 difficult to sort of put it put the injured people in a demographic when it comes to online advertising. Everybody. Yeah. They're yeah. a representative sample of the whole population. Exactly. So what data driven it a big game changer in data driven marketing decision has been looking at, you know, having you get access to car accident data for a long period of time, like 10 to 12 years. And then using time series modeling, you can predict car accidents then that occurred in a certain region. And then making sure that your campaigns are aligned towards that time period to make sure that your the people who are facing something like this have all the resources, have all the access they need. We know slip and fall accidents are very common during the winters because it's Wisconsin. But yeah. what are the months, what are the time periods when they arise? And finding that information uh, because and backing it up with data from the past has been very interesting. Then we can we're able to design campaigns around that. That's amazing. Uh, we also okay. know that go people. Ahead, no, sorry. We I was just saying we also know that people don't explore the personal injury category until they are in a dire situation. And when they do that, they they make a decision within a week. So wow. that was something that we found through our data. Uh, to lots of data that's available on the internet. So catering to that audience within the week and the time of sensitive messaging that we want to, to reach out to them with is something that has helped, that data has helped us with. That's amazing. And it, 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 this is fascinating that you use data at that level. I, I want yeah. to go back to what you said about the time series modeling. That sounds like incredibly 
sophisticated. So what you're saying, I think, if I'm hearing you right, is that you're able to look at historical uh, personal injury data and then project forward and and sort of figure out uh, how much how many personal injuries of similar kinds you would expect in various regions um, and then sort of direct your marketing accordingly. Yep. Yeah, that is something that we're able to do now. Boy, that's incredible. And that that must have measurable positive results to to do that and get it get it correct. I mean, how I'm just curious, like, are, are you able, are the estimates usually pretty accurate? I know, I'm sure that COVID threw off everything, um, you know, so I don't know that any of the projections anybody made about those couple of years, um, including personal injury uh, yeah. stuff, because everybody was staying at home. Um, but but in the post-COVID era, um, has that data been pretty accurate? Again, you can't look at one or two years. You have to look at at least six or seven sure. years and or longer than that, the longer the better. So we're this is something that we're experimenting with for the first time this year. So maybe next year I can tell you if it's working. Yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Experimenting with. We'll come back in a year and, and, and see how it I I'm fascinated by that though. I I, I love the application of smart statistics to yeah. business problems. And this sounds like a, a really good example of that. Um, so the other thing I know, you, you were describing uh, a little bit of a tangle on the legal side that that you've been involved in at Habush um, on around Google keywords. And I, I know that the, the yeah. listeners here who are marketers or, or who would like to be marketers or who know marketers would be interested to hear what happened there and, and how you resolved it. Yeah, definitely. So in 2009, the firm had filed a lawsuit against one of our competitors you know how Google really has no rules against bidding on brand keywords, yep. regardless of whose brand it is. It could yep. be yours or others. So one of our competitors was obviously paying for the keywords Habish and Rotier. So when you search for something like that, the sponsored search result of the competitor's website was showing up. Mm -hmm. So the lawsuit was based on a Wisconsin Right to Privacy Act, a statute that prohibits the use of any living person's name for advertising purposes without wow. the person's consent. But unfortunately, the firm lost after yeah. a really long battle because we failed to establish that such a use was done unreasonably. Yeah. So we lost, but that's that's that was something different and no one had done that before. And I'm glad our firm did because what do you do in a scenario like this with marketing right. strategies like these? Do you stoop to the competitor's level right. or do you try to play it even? And that is one of the biggest challenges that we face right now is just trying to address the competition and address it in the ways, extreme ways that they're willing to go. Yeah. Well, especially as you described it, a very aggressive space. And yeah. as a firm that I think is trying to do this in a, a different, more responsible way, yeah. it's pretty hard when your competitors are not. Uh, that that's that that makes a lot of sense. And actually that that um that that legal issue you're describing. Um, that, that, of course, has become central for anybody who is uh, advertising, um, you know, using keywords of competitors, uh, competitors, yeah. brands. It's, that's very interesting. I, it, it reminds me that um, when most of the laws that are on the books around advertising and the use of, um, uh, you know, copyrighted terms or brand names, you know, when most of those were established, uh, nobody could particularly have have guessed that something like Google would be around where we'd be asking these questions. So exactly. I know that they've long, long time had a policy that you can't use somebody else's brand in the ad copy. 
-hmm. even that seems a little slippery um, that people get away with that unless they're called out specifically. But yeah, this idea of of bidding on brand keywords is um, it's going to be an ongoing question, I think, for a while. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's obviously frowned upon, but if the competition is willing to go to that level, you have to address the competition in a way. Yeah. No, absolutely. That, that's amazing. Well, and you, yeah. So it fascinating to me too that it's a, you know, in this particular case, there's a branding question that I think every company that has a brand name has navigated or needs to navigate, and uh, that you guys were dealing with a legal issue as a law firm is is interesting. I'm sure that quite a lot of thought was put into how to argue that effectively, and um, yeah, that, that, that's an amazing story. I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad you shared it. Yeah, and. Yeah. Just while I was thinking of challenges, another thing that I wanted to bring up was just the reputation that attorneys have. I know most people think of attorneys as sharks and someone who's just out there for your money. Fighting that reputation as a marketing PR person is really difficult. And you because in fact you know that I personally when when I joined the law firm, my uh, manager had asked me to sit in intakes and depositions and trials. And I mean, hearing people narrate their stories of being hurt severely every single day, Mm. compassion fatigue is normal and it is real when something like that happens. But most attorneys I've worked with have been, are very passionate about their cases and they try to at least do the best they can. They are compassionate, but it comes across that way and it makes sense. But it's, and it's interesting I bring this up because it's right now Mental Wellbeing in Law Week. Yeah, so I've just been thinking about that a lot. Sure. And just just knowing that most people don't even know that attorneys work on a contingency fee. Mm. They only get paid if you do. And that is why they negotiate or try to get the most amount of money. So that because the percentage of the total amount is what goes to the law firm. Mm-hmm. So this fighting this entire uh idea of attorneys being sharks or being insensitive is another volume that comes into marketing yeah yeah that's interesting and like like we were talking about before in this space in particular right it, it, there's um uh that sort of a a brand to fight that, that yeah. that's the perception you raise a really interesting point an important one there too i mean it's sort of attorney mental health week this week uh yeah. I, w- I was just reading something in the New York Times earlier this week, um, Vivek Murthy, the, the Surgeon General, talking about this epidemic of loneliness mm-hmm. um, and and the, the the mental health problems associated with that. Attorneys aren't immune to that, and I think especially as you're describing in a space like this where compassion fatigue is a real thing, uh, the stressors of winning or not winning cases. I you know I couldn't do it. I, I know I couldn't do it, and and I'm sure that takes a toll. So it's very interesting to kind of raise the the human side of this as well. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. So, um, well, this, this is a wonderful conversation. I, I wanted to ask you as we're rounding the bend here, uh, you, you, you talked a bit about some of the data driven, um, uh, sort of approach that you take in doing this. Um, any other tips or tricks that you can share about the data that you pay attention to that's most valuable in helping you make marketing decisions? Uh, I love this story about the time series data and and sort of mapping that out. Um, what else is new or interesting or meaningful or moves the needle in your world right now when it comes to data-driven decision-making? 
Yeah. Uh, another thing that uh, we had experimented last year, you should also understand that most law firms, uh, mid-sized law firms, don't really have marketing uh, positions. Most yep. of them are done by attorneys. Yep. So they don't have uh, as much knowledge in marketing. I was lucky enough to go to a great school, Texas A&M, for marketing, where I learned all of this, where mm. I learned data-driven decision-making. Mm. But most uh, mid-sized law firms, I don't see looking at this data or even data that they have uh, with regard to their caseload. One of the things that I uh, in, introduced this year was just looking at past data, looking at the data of their caseloads. What time are they getting? What kind of cases from? We usually ask when we're taking lead intakes, we usually ask them, uh, ask leads where they heard about us. So just looking at that data at that level and what, what calls are we getting at what time, looking at data from our social yeah. media campaigns, looking at data from our website and trying to make sense of it together to make to create a budget that will help you not 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 just by creating a random budget based on uh based on what you feel like is going to work so yeah. that has definitely helped even looking i i think i really think a law firm should start collecting that data i don't know if others other law firms do that but just their caseload data and marketing data associated with that because that will help you in the future. That will help you predict what kind of cases, uh, what the severity of cases. And I'm pretty sure you can do all this in the future because I believe in the big data work that's been going on right now. So I'm pretty sure you can predict all of this. So I think that is very important to just make sure you're collecting that data and looking at it. That, that's amazing. Yeah, that, that's such a wonderful sort of classic and underappreciated marketing yeah. trick, which is to take the outside in view. You know, we're, we're sitting here in the business or in the firm, and what we see is the business that we're familiar with, and we forget about what the customer prospects experiences or yeah. potential clients' experiences coming in and yeah. the things that we can learn about what to do next from a marketing perspective from taking that point of view are almost endless. So that's that's wonderful. And 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 you're right also, I, I have seen this a lot of times when um you know there's a professional, whether it's a, a lawyer or um a doctor or a contractor or an architect that are extremely good at their chosen field and profession, mm -hmm. that it's very easy for them to miss some of these um, you know, uh, fairly traditional and standard uh, uh, ways of, of approaching marketing. And yeah. so when you turn that on just a little bit, you can have outsized results. Exactly. And you see that a lot in mid-level law firms. So, yeah, amazing. Well, I, I, they are very lucky to have you there in bringing all this uh, this knowledge and understanding and expertise to uh, this challenge. And especially for somebody who's been around uh, for a hundred years, a firm that's been around for a, almost a hundred years. Um, yeah. Wonderful to see that they're stepping up and and taking a modern approach. I know there's a lot of uh, uh, older businesses that fail to do that, and this is only going to help them, I think, to and help you to to drive for the next hundred years, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. Well, Anjali, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. This is a fascinating conversation, and uh, we'll we'll bring you back in a year, and we'll see how this uh, this data comes out, and and uh, do a little a little bit of a report and a look back at that point. I would love that. Thank awesome. you, John. Sounds good. I'll put it on our calendar. Anjali, thank you so much. I'll see you in a year. Yes. Yeah. 
Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.